I've given up all chance at inner peace. I made my mind a sunless face. I share my dreams with ghosts. I wake up every day to an equation I wrote 15 years ago from which there's only one conclusion. I'm damned for what I do. My anger, my ego, my unwillingness to yield, my, my eagerness to fight. They set me on a path from which there's no escape. I yearn to be a savior against injustice without contemplating the cost, and by the time I look down, there's no longer any ground beneath my feet. What is my, what is my sacrifice? I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life to make a sunrise that I know I'll never see. Now the ego that started this fight will never have a, a mirror or an audience or the light of gratitude. What do I sacrifice? Everything! Approaching 200 hours of Star Wars on film. This is the Star Wars binge where we select, order, and elevate the best 40 hours of the Star Wars canon. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and with me in Denver is the Daniel Mothershed, playwright, actor, and pop culture enthusiast. This is true. This is the sound of my voice. Daniel TJ is back. Hey, hey, hey. This is also true. We're going to wrap this sucker up with the TJ Wilson, who is a personality typing expert, and likewise... Uh, expert of all things pop culture except for pop music very true <laughs> if you are just stumbling onto this podcast you got to check out our first episode it is chapter one of all the things that we're doing sometimes we'll react to recent properties like we are today but normally we are doing a deep dive into the best 40 hours of star wars so check it out go to episode one and see how things roll but otherwise man there's lots to talk about on the andor andor just wrapped up this morning, I can't remember the last time I watched a movie twice in one day. Yesterday, yesterday was for me, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the twelfth episode of Andor, I didn't get the first time the way I should have, and the second time, I mm. really enjoyed how they ended this. I was ready to get onto this podcast and say, "What the hell happened with these last two episodes?" Man, I'm really glad you changed your tune because <laughs> uh, we talked in between those two yeah. viewings and after me watching it, I, I I could not understand how you could have had that opinion. It's a- so, I'm glad you Specifically about glad 12 you switched. or or about yeah. 11 and 12. Uh specifically about 12. I okay. missed, I mean just to put this out there I, I missed what luthan's motive was like, why is he trying to kill andor and how is this working and and so i just really tried to focus it knowing how the 12th episode ends i went back and was really looking at his dialogue i put on the subtitles you know so that i'm like reading things maybe that's it is i just don't follow as well without subtitles but um but now i'm on i'm on board this is great i was gonna say episode 12 i loved episode 12 i was on the fence about 11 it it wasn't bad but i I just thought oh okay it was clearly set up for this yeah yeah right until the end bad episode but it was set up for this yeah no absolutely it was was on the fence about right up until the end because that's one of the best escape from potential captivity moments i've ever seen on screen (laughs) Well, speaking of escapes, um, we didn't get TJ's opinion on the last arc 
And before we dive into all of the ending of Andor, which I, I think we're going to spend some time, good time on, I think it's worth talking about just reactions now that we've seen this whole show. Daniel and I did a uh, podcast about two months ago after Kenobi, and we were both down on the future of Star Wars, and I don't think that's where we're at anymore. That's fair. Eh. Yeah. Mixed bag. I think the future of Tony Gilroy is looking up. <laughs> right, yeah. Am I excited about season two of Andor? You bet. You better believe it. <laughs> Am I excited yeah. about Star Wars, the future in general? We'll see. We'll see. I'll watch it. Nicholas Brittle, that guy's got a, a future in music. Yeah, he does. Holy cow. God, the music in this last one. <laughs> so I, like, the, the music in all of it has been really well done, but this last one, it was just, it, it blew me away. Yep. Holy cow, it was so good. TJ, with uh, having seen the last half since we spoke last, yep. uh, how are you feeling about the future of Star Wars? I and I, I'm still in the same place as I was uh, <laughs> when when we last spoke. Uh, this is absolutely stunning and amazing television. It's so this show is so good. It's easily one of the best shows of 2022. Um, we'll see how long that can extend because it's it it's just so good. And also, they still never said the word force one single mm. time. So. Um, y'all, y'all said something in the in the last episode about um, Star Wars is about hope mm-hmm. in places where hope doesn't belong, and I I get that I I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I also think that the prominence of this thing that that sort of ties all of it together for me, like I I'm I'm still missing that. Sure. I think we got to see a few more clues that that we'll eventually learn that Luthen is. Uh, secret Jedi in hiding, but um, without that kind of review, if they never do Force or uh, anything with the Force of the Jedi in this show, I think they'll it'll be lesser for it. Right. So we'll see in season two. And also, this show is amazing. <laughs> there is something about <laughs> fans coming out of the movies and saying, "I, I really enjoyed this. This was so great. I've, I've, I've." have had a religious experience and it's different when it seems to me when people who I respect who are pop culture folks are saying this is a top three show for the year mm-hmm. and yeah. that's been seems to me to have been the reaction almost across the board I see it so much hype recently yeah, yeah I, I really haven't heard anybody whose opinion I'm interested in dislike this show right there's there's plenty of Twitter nonsense and and whatever else but so I got a thought on this to to preempt our conversation, it's it's that there's always problems with Star Wars fandom, but it seems <laughs> to me that there's three types of Star Wars fan, and I'm firmly in one of the camps, and it's the camp of I want Star Wars made for adults. So I want, I love Rogue One, I love Empire, I love the darkest parts of Sith, uh, not a huge Return of the Jedi fan. And and there's some places in Mandalorian that I really get up. But this show is made for me. And then there's folks who really want the Star Wars made for the kids. So I think a lot of the Last Jedi fans out there who really are, yeah, especially on, on Twitter, who are so enthusiastic about that movie, love the adolescent tale. Love the 12-year-old, 13-year-old line. Humor, adolescent issues being conveyed and i suppose those who love the prequels 
likewise love Star Wars for kids. And then I suppose there's a third camp that is the combination of those. And this is where I think Lucas is always trying to aim. It's like, I want the kids. I want the adults. I need to put something in for everybody. And that is what New Hope and Return of the Jedi feel like to me. And Mm -hmm. at times Mandalorian can be there. But uh, floating that as an idea. Do you guys got thoughts on that in terms of how Andor fits into everything? Not really in terms of how Andor fits into that, but I don't, I just don't necessarily know that I agree. Cause I think that, I feel like most of the interviews I've heard with George Lucas, he routinely says Star Wars on the whole is for 12 year olds, right? 12 and 13 year olds. And I feel like even Empire Strikes Back, Rogue One, I think kids could watch. I, I loved Empire Strikes Back as a kid. A child. As a kid, yeah. But is that because sure. that show was good for you or because your parents were letting you watch things that you shouldn't have been watching? Empire Strikes Back? Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. There's an argument to be had there. I, I, nine? <laughs> eight, nine? I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, think, I think it's less of a commentary on art made for younger people and, and more of the writing and the execution of the humor and the moments on screen and the, all of the other things in... In that the the, to, the the tossing of the lightsaber and all those things, it's not humor aimed at young people. It's humor that doesn't work, right? Mm. And I think it's I think it's I heard Frank Oz once say people don't actually know what they're talking about when they say this is aimed at children because he said people don't actually know what that means. He goes when you talk about things that children like, what do they like? Lots of action. I'm an adult. I like action, bright colors, costumes. Oh, I like those things as an adult. And he he said people mislabel things as for kids when they maybe mean those things are bad and I'm not able to enjoy them. And that's so I I push back on the kids thing just a little bit. Yeah, I I think that like thinking about the the entirety of the media that I've seen and I, I haven't seen everything that Star Wars, but I've seen most of it. And I feel like the the stuff that gets through the most is the stuff that's at least not aiming at the kids it can be like i i think there's a lot of material within the star wars universe that can be viewed by kids but everything that's aiming at kids or or even potentially seems like it's aiming at kids like the the lightsaber thrown over the shoulder um the entirety of jar jar binks uh (laughs) well aiming for kids misses the mark but I I don't think that it has to be totally adult. I think that this show is not for kids. But there is stuff that like like New Hope. I'm I would watch that with my daughter around because it's uh, it's not not for kids. But I don't feel like New Hope is being aimed at aimed toward children in the way that like Jar Jar Binks is or or even the the first couple of like before Clone Wars really gets its legs underneath it. There's so much of it that is just so juvenile that it's really hard to watch for me. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm thinking through this as you guys are talking. I suppose when I say adult, what I mean is a mix of the Grimm's fairy tale side of dark mythology uh, conveying. So Luke is in Empire Strikes Back, cuts the head off of Darth Vader. Darth Vader's mask explodes and it's his face in the mask. And that feels to me fairly adult. Uh, yeah, sure. And, and confusing for, for, for younger folks. Um, the political intrigue side of this show, 
as well as some some of the rhythms of Empire seem seem overly complicated for mm-hmm. for twelve to thirteen year olds. But I think follow. that's good. I think that's good storytelling because I think anybody who knows who's coming to see their stuff builds in things for. The parents that might be taking sure. their child to the thing, the kids. Because, yeah, sure. Did I understand those things when I was viewing Empire Strikes Back as a kid? Of course not. Was it still ultimately a show about space wizards and laser swords and cool crap? Yes. Yeah. And then as you get older, and I think that's what so many people say when mm-hmm. it's, I want Star Wars that's thus and such, or really dark and made by the Game of Thrones guys, or really politically intriguing or whatever. Well, yeah, because we're adults now. <laughs> Perhaps it's, yeah. the, it's the drama, the, the maximizing drama, and, and really in, inserting a lot of perceived emotional pain on screen it's when it moves away from that and it, it feels to me like there's a lot of that going on in this and in empire and maybe and i i really prefer star wars and like other superhero and you know mythological properties fantasy properties in that realm i guess i just prefer them to be good which is maybe why i don't care for the last jedi <laughs> or any of those things well hey guess what we're going to yeah, talk about that next <laughs> yeah, time it's in my calendar <laughs> So, friends, uh, the five-year anniversary of The Last Jedi is next month, and we're going to just do a uh, unfiltered, how did this hold up? You know, where are your thoughts, you know, five years hence about these? And we're, we're, we're going to have a special guest on, and it's going to be good. It's going to be good times. So uh, do come unfiltered, because we've been holding back <laughs> <laughs> on so much of this. I'm really glad I'm not going to be part of that conversation. <laughs> we will get into fights. Oh, man. The other side of this, I think, is there's some high-level spiritual reflection that can take place in in Empire and in um, Rogue One. I suppose as a kid, I didn't understand what Yoda was trying to get at most of the time that he's talking to to Luke about Mm -hmm. spiritual elements. And I think Chirrut Emway's character in Rogue One does a great job of showcasing something that really requires... A lot of maturity to understand why this would be beautiful worthy and you know wise agreed but for me that's why coming to andor seeing this and saying this works this is wonderful i really hope they build on these sorts of themes moving forward i'm realizing more and more in myself that it's because they're hitting that type of show they're hitting the one that for the most part is aimed at a more mature audience it seemed to me and apparently they can pull it off and and because they're not, they have no interest in servicing the fanboys. So otherwise, you would have seen some lightsabers, perhaps. <laughs> right. <laughs> except for except for the very last scene of the season, the end credit scene. Did y'all see it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, there's oh, an end credit scene to Andor. Oh, yeah, we're gonna oh, talk about it damn. now. <laughs> we, I, it's so brief. Like it's. I'm literally it's willing so to quick. wait and have and say go. It's it's twenty seconds long. Watch it right now. Yeah, it's in the Seriously. credits. Go watch it right now. Give me a. Can you watch it on your computer? Or do you have to go all the way downstairs? <laughs> oh, give me two seconds. This is so dumb. It's it's a mid credits. There's some credits, then the bit, and then the. Got some spiders creating a Death Star here. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to showcase. This is this is how this sucker got put together. It was. Because it would take some man hours for sure. Mm-hmm. But it is really cool to just see the what yeah. the guys in the prison were working on. Oh, is that? 
uh, I miss that. Yeah, those those, those teeny pieces. tiny things that those little bitty baby spiders are are carrying yeah. are the giant junctions that they were making in the prison. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. I gasped when I saw that. Yeah, I had assumed that there was this was some part of the, but that's that's excellent. That that's the uh, yeah laser. Like clearly, this is going to be some kind of like this is something for the empire, right. and star destroyers are gigantic, so it could be anything. Like the, these could be. These could be n- nothing. Like these could be the bolts that hold together star destroyers. And it, as it turns out, this, I thought this ended up being a really perfect way to lightly connect it to Rogue One, right? With with actually yeah. seeing the, some of the Death Star coming together, I, I just thought it was mm-hmm. perfect. Just a just a little just a toss in right there at the at the yeah. final moment. Well, and, and the. And moving forward, like the the next season is going to be covering a significant amount of time because we're now we're now less than five years out from the start of Rogue One, and uh, this like like we need to know that the 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 thing that they're building like the next season is covering those four years. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to do some significant time jumps, uh, r- allegedly. And, and this is a good way of saying, okay, we're we're actually moving the story p- forward pretty significantly now. Right. Remember the Death Star? It's coming. <laughs> Remember the Death Star? It's excellent. Grounds it in the universe and gives a personal element to yeah to the structure itself. That's good. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about these last two. Uh, did you have uh, any thoughts on the prison break? Uh, the, everything about it is unbelievable. The and and uh, listening to you guys talk about uh, about it, the the one of the big things about Andy Circus that that I really wanted to like that he's so good at motion capture that like everyone is basically doing trying to do what Andy Circus did, mm-hmm. <laughs> and almost no instance of it is it worth it. Like the like uh, Lupita Nyong'o in uh, as Maz Kanata, we we didn't need to know her specific facial expressions because Maz's face is so different from a a normal human face. Yes, that vocal and, performance was enough. Yeah, yeah, and and even the Benedict Cumberbatch's performance as Smaug is r- unbelievable. Like if if I could just watch that, I would be fine with the Hobbit. Like if that's all the <laughs> Hobbit was was the behind the scenes filming of Benedict Cumberbatch doing the motion capture, that would be fine with me. But also, we don't need his face to know what a dragon's face looks like because, you know, it's a dragon, not a human face, and Benedict Cumberbatch doesn't look much like a dragon. But Andy Serkis <laughs> as Gollum, like like this this changed the way that we animate characters in live action settings and so much of Andy Serkis's work is in doing motion capture characters and so his face is actually so much of his acting is his face and being able to see Andy Serkis's face actually doing that acting like there's there's so many things going on in that storyline and the only thing that you know is what you see on his face cuz he doesn't have any words and it's yep. amazing he the when you hear people talk about 
a lot of acting is inner life and inner thoughts and your emotions mm-hmm. and what you're feeling. I think he is one of the best examples of what that looks like done exceptionally well. Because yeah. obviously it needs to be there to create these beautiful motion capture characters. But that same amount of work is in his real face when he's yep. acting. Yep. It's it's yes. it's a masterclass to watch that guy perform. Yeah. Yep. It's a good word. Agreed. He was just to seasonally as it's the end of November. Did either of you see that Christmas Carol with Guy Pierce that got made a few years ago? No. It was it was very dark even for Dickens, but he was the ghost of Christmas present, I believe. Oh. Or hmm. past. I don't remember and he had a Yeah, now I have to go watch it, that. his performance is incredibly interesting. The rest of it is just kind of dark and disturbing and weird. Sure. But watching him is it and it's just and again it's just him in a costume. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. This last arc, uh, two big things I thought were going on. One, they're planting a bunch of stuff for the next season. So stuff with uh, my Mothma's daughter. I feel like Bricks is important in a way that we're not really shown, but she's being carried through. We get some Saul Guerrera who ends up being a through line. Which also, Forrest Whitaker. Good stuff. But being able to see the progression of Saw becoming insane Agreed. is beautiful well done Forrest Whitaker <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a that's a good dark scene yeah he brings something in both the movies and in this it's the extremist on the good side quote unquote who mm-hmm. isn't a good person and right has like gone to a place where it's destructive to themselves and uh, like what do you do with that it seemed to me that his character is outstanding at showing you who Luthen is mm, yes because i think having rewatched the the two episodes here at the end Luthen actually has a character arc which i didn't notice the first time and i think it's super essential mm. to this to these last two episodes so and it it's showcased there in their first meeting uh luthan goes in and they're having the conversation about uh krieger and how he's gonna sacrifice him right and the cutthroat element of luthan is there the we are going to win and i have to sacrifice some pawns or even a bishop along the way and that's where his heart is and that's actually the whole heart of this episode or these this arc because he's gonna likewise have to take out cassian yeah and something he fully admits to that that speech yep. that he gives is the character, the arc, the the whatever you want to say. I mean, it it is. He's just he says he gives that speech and then proves it in in that ne- in that eleventh episode of of what he's willing to do and how down in the in the dirt he's willing to get. Yep. But I I think there's there's something that is is subtle, but I think necessary to know about. Um, about Luthen and and the the performance coming off of Stellan Skarsgård. I I hope this guy gets a freaking Emmy because it's unbelievable. Uh but there's there's something woven into this that that we're not really seeing that he keeps hinting at but not saying out loud that he he knows that that these are terrible awful decisions that he hates making. Yep. Like, like there's there's a callousness that he brings forward that that he continually pushes and like like I remember one of the when we're seeing him talk to Vel the very first time, 
he's he's explaining what's going to happen and then he just goes look at me and like it's this really intense like oh my this guy is basically a dictator right <laughs> but seeing him explain in in that speech in episode 10 and in this whole scene with uh with the second ep- scene with Sagarera he is basically saying there's no good options here and we have to choose what's best for the rebellion and the problem is that people are going to die and somebody has to make that decision and unfortunately it's me yep and and even like putting that onto Sagarera and saying this is this is where we're at we can either lose everything or lose Krieger He's even... And I hate it. I hate being here. It's interesting. At one point, he kind of pushes that off of himself and allows Saw to make the call. Because Saw says something like, "Right, are you going to keep me from telling Krieger? And and it's almost like, well, now I don't have to make this decision. Now you have to make this decision. Well, and I, I think that's that's part of, of what, like the subtlety of it mm-hmm. is that, unfortunately, I, I already made this decision. And now that you've decided to go back him up, now you have to make this decision. This is this is the thing about being in the position that yeah. I am in, yep. is that somebody has to make this decision. And because you now know you have to make the decision. Yeah, to build on that, the in that speech, him saying that he has to use the, the weapons of his enemies to defeat his enemies, mm-hmm. it's that element. And there was another line, it was something to the extent of, I've made my mind a sunless space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And entering into that that position, that's just, that's where he's at. Right. That stuff is also all over his character through all the episodes, though, and I think it is it really is just amazing writing and an amazing performance, because that's his reaction after the heist when he's talking to Mon Mothma and, and her response is something to the effect of, Lots of people are going to get hurt now. And he says, and he basically says, right, that's what we want. That's the point. That's right. why we did this, right. to wake everybody right. up. So it's, I mean, it's there from episode four. I mean, it, it's, it, but they just do it so well because it's never, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel showy. It doesn't feel heavy handed. Just, it's just right. really nice brushstrokes of, of layering on who this character is until we get to that speech on the bridge and then it's really there. Yeah. And and so many other times when we see characters that are written sort of like this, we see them in settings where they're actually the bad guy, right? Um, or or they're they're so far removed from the good guys that they might as well be the bad guy. And I I think that the complexity of Luthen's position is magnificent, and he's. The the torture that that guy is clearly putting himself through mm-hmm. when when he keeps checking the radio and he's listening for the thing and he's just that there's no peace for that guy and I think that's what yeah that's what obviously this world is and it's just told and shown so well here in a way that doesn't mm-hmm. feel demonstrative at all and is just like you said and I think I think we said it in the episode we recorded if he doesn't win something for this i'm going to be upset because this is a top mm-hmm. five television performance this year i would say i'm never uh, yeah. i never care about those those awards shows myself so i don't i'll i'll, I'll cheer for him and yeah that's that's where i'm at but the, yeah i don't care about them either i just really hope the, that he wins one. right <laughs> the value yeah. the value that the character places on information and himself remaining hidden ends up being very very interesting to me um both that's his motive for going to kill cassian 
it's something that's all over uh, the scene with his assistant and Val, where Val's breaking the rules and the assistant is like, this is not how this is done. Mm-hmm. Do your job. It's all over the Saw scene as well, where Saw is saying it's worth losing Krieger, and Luthen says he can't hurt me, and Saw goes, like I can. You know, If I get caught, I know who you are. I know what you look like, et cetera. And, and mm-hmm. is, I assume that he's Axis in Dedra's mind, correct? Is it when they refer to Axis? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're looking for this person that connects everyone together. Right. Who Andor escaped with. For, yeah. By the way, yeah. real clever when Saw says, you have somebody in my crew, don't you? And he says, it's Tubes. tubes. Tell him. Yeah. <laughs> D- does, and, and I, <laughs> did he call him Tubes or Two Tubes? I don't because I heard two tubes, <laughs> which is even which better. Is so much more funny. <laughs> yes, two tubes. <laughs> Let's do a replay on that one. Well, when he's leaving, saw that it's so great that he gets he gets a gun that way and and gains leverage. Real good at gaining leverage through being sneaky, and that's just showed mm-hmm. in that that scene. But as he's leaving, and they're ha- he's having the conversation with his assistant. And they're talking about pieces. This is where he says about Cassian, if we lose that piece, we will have to close shop. And I was like, oh, there it is. Okay, now I'm getting it. I miss. I totally missed mm-hmm. that the, the first time how this is playing out. Because apparently I got really into the Luthan versus a Star Destroyer scene. <laughs> and <then laughs> just Which was rightfully was so. Attention. Holy crap. I, that, that is the best <sighs> escape from custody scene I've ever watched. Absolutely amazing. Someone online on the YouTubes was pointing out how this is how the opening of Last Jedi should have played. You have the single pilot in in his craft with a large Star Destroyer, and there's a conversation going back and forth. And the cleverness, the intelligence that Luthen shows in that moment of getting away versus what happens with Poe Dameron at the beginning of Lost Jedi and the jokes about you know being on the phone and, and uh, being on hold and the rest. I don't remember this at all. I believe you. Poe's in an There's, X-Wing facing yeah. down like this, this fleet of First Order ships. Right, it's, well, see, and I remember that. I just don't remember any of that dialogue. There's, all right, so... <laughs> To bring James Bond into this. Please do. There's, there's the way that Connery or Roger Moore plays James Bond and the style of humor that's inserted into the world that brings up, you know, kind of a different kind of enjoyment. Whereas Daniel Craig's James Bond seldom engages the humor. Mm-hmm. And, and But also gets his ass kicked a lot. And that's that's this James Bond. <laughs> that's, <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> Indoor feels a whole lot more Daniel Craig-ish. I'm not sure if they're pulling off the humor anywhere else in Star Wars, but... Well, and then I I think there's also, like, as awesome as that scene is, and man, I love Luthen all the more because, holy crap, it was so great, yeah. and I want to know where he got his car. I want to <laughs> Um But also, the the importance of this this through line through the whole... Almost like a subplot, but it's not really. But but part of part of the whole story is the incredible arrogance of the Empire. Yeah, and and the arrogance and ignorance. Yeah, my ship is bigger than yours, and they're just not self aware. All they have to do is get his run his plates, <laughs> and they see his plates are fine, and that's it. They can't pull him over. 
except they say he literally says we need the practice let's bring him in anyway yeah the overreach of the local cops is all over that scene yeah yeah and and yeah just the the pure cassian says it several times just the like the the fact that you could just dress like them walk in like you know what you're doing and walk out and because they assume that nobody's going to do this that's that's their downfall with the the bank heist that's their downfall with the prison that's their downfall with trying to capture luthan that's their downfall with trying to capture uh and or in the first place on on Ferrix. And it's just, yeah, the the arrogance and the ignorance of the Empire to think that nobody would dare stand up to us is on display in very clear ways. This scene ended up bringing a lot more body and depth to some of the stuff that happens in New Hope for me. The One of the scenes that really popped immediately was Han Solo boasting about how fast his ship is mm-hmm. and saying, you know, it can outrun the Empire not just the local bulk cruisers. I'm talking about the big Carillion ships. Yeah. And this was a scene that kind of, it gave, it, it was a show don't tell kind of moment for me. That was kind of like, mm-hmm. this is the confidence that Solo has in his ship, but it's also what somebody like Kenobi would be worried about. It's like, we got, we got to navigate this galaxy without, you know, the tech that the empire has pulling us in. Yeah. And the, this is also one of the first times that we really see, uh, something a little bit more in depth with a tractor beam yep. like we experience we encounter a tractor beam a couple of times yep. in in previous media but this is the first time where they talk about levels yeah you see the science and, behind it as opposed to it just being kind of a magical net <laughs> that you get caught in right 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 and the 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 idea that uh they they're they're gonna see this tiny ship that's not a big deal and they're not going to to use the full force of their tractor beam because they don't need to. And and all as it turns out, the ship is a lot more powerful than they thought. And they're now sitting on a broken. <laughs> There's some surprises in that ship. Yeah, that's that's a great moment in that scene too when he when he releases and and it's tearing up everything. And and the one guy mm-hmm. basically look at all the yeah I can see this. It just it's so <laughs> it's so good. Just the the yeah. the writing of that is so delightful. Mm-hmm. One of the thing is, I like these sorts of space battles way more, where it's just five or six ships as opposed to 182 ships. It gets <laughs> really messy and complicated. I think Return of the Jedi is beautiful, the last uh, big space battle, but these where you kind of are, you're seeing the agility, you're watching the dogfight. You know, there's there's real stakes with each of the villains ship and how you know how the red baron you know takes six people down as it were uh, this was really quality for for television especially yeah that disney money disney money it's also the case that (laughs) you can see how far uh what would you call this the writing brings so much more life to the space battle you don't have to do a ton of cgi to make this work there's a lot of dialogue that is what makes this yeah. work. Most of that is mm-hmm. two different groups of people in a different ship set. Yeah. And and it's, I believed every minute of it. Right, right. And it's all new, too. Yeah, yeah. we've never okay. seen... The, yeah. We have not seen that cruiser in, in live Star Wars before. We haven't seen his ship... His, where the heck did his ship come from? And it has those... The DeLorean 
rear end thing that opens up and fires <laughs> fires mines out the back of it <laughs> and then lasers coming out the side like we've never seen this before and the in and it's the inside yeah. co-pilot navigation system it's just yep. it's it's mm-hmm. That's really cool, too, because I'm thinking about A New Hope when they're caught in the tractor beam and they're just f- flicking switches on and off and there's nothing. But seeing that console of trying to power things up and what levels mm-hmm. you have to get to to be able to evade uh, a tractor beam, I just thought that was so interesting. Yeah, felt totally in-universe, too. Like yeah, there's... and it didn't slow anything down. It wasn't too much mm-hmm. extra. It just was gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, even the priming of of the device that that the 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 gauge that shows it is like it felt like there might be someone underneath there turning a dial, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like like it felt not it did not feel cheap, but it felt like somebody doing the best they can in the 70s. Right. Right. So, and that and that's I'm what's so impressive very about very pleased with this. Just yeah. mentioning the return of the Jedi Star Wars. I think that's why those. I mean, that's why those are in there. It was the seventies and eighties, and they were able to do right. that. So that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas now we know we can do that. What else you got? And that's what makes right. something like this uh, so remarkable. Yep. To double down on the the idea that it felt in in universe, one of the things that the sequels don't do well is introducing like fantastic new force powers and abilities to move the plot along. Um, uh, flying through space is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that for next is time. Is it though? It's not. The th- the thing about everything in this scene is it's it's using all the pieces on the board that have been established in new and creative ways, and that's mm-hmm. that's fantastic storytelling. Yeah. Last scene in episode eleven, I thought was a fantastic rhyme for Rogue One, and it's Andor saying at some point that she, meaning his his mother, would be proud of him. This is also the last line that he says to Jen or so on the beach, that your father would be proud of you. Mm. And there's a moment there, and then it's it's when he hears of her death, he is again on a beach, and the angle of his face is identical to the one in, in uh, Rogue One, I think. I'm guess I'm making this up. No, it's it's very reminiscent. Yeah. If it's not if it's not the same, it's it's intent it's feels like it's intended to invoke that. Love that as you know, as a balance and that worked for me. And I got real emotional at yeah. the end of that uh episode. That whole final run of moments where you realize that Marva's dead, bring a punch. It, you know, the the droid alone in the house, not wanting to leave, that that sense of connection and attachment to her and the space, so human. Yep. To 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 reinforce a political point we continue to make on this show about droids, <laughs> but um, but also just so beautifully done. I, I I loved that moment. Yeah, all of the stuff, and it it just made me so sad that we're never going to see Fiona Shaw again uh, in this show. Thank I mean, God she's, they fixed she's that. Still... Holy crap! Yeah, holy cow! Uh, <laughs> holy crap! Uh, we'll get through <laughs> it. Uh, uh, yeah, just uh, and the weight of someone dying. They they handled this so that there's so much about a community grieving someone and and we didn't watch them get killed by a a blaster you know like the 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 level of like really sort of normal human death 
that and like like all of us experienced death and this right. was this was something that was so much more it was so much closer to home and and just every part of it that they did is is so and and the way that like this is the event that is going to move literally all of the pieces that we've been following for the last 10 episodes into the same place this that's the thing awesome. that's the thing mm-hmm. that hit hit me and i don't want to just continue to to crap on the the sequels go ahead this this is showcases the failure of the last movie if you're going to have mm-hmm. the death of leia make it matter and make it be part <sighs> of the story and that's exactly it it's there are so many points um that are brought together and move the story forward you know around this death and it's not just here's a character that we loved who's who's dying in a room that we've never seen before mm-hmm. and it doesn't really have any yep. effect on anything except for now the actors just need to get emotional and then they move on to the next scene yeah or even the the idea that like we we have to bring characters together because this is the the penultimate episode and then then the final episode is coming we have to bring everyone together mm-hmm. and we can do that by having them meet on a star destroyer we can do that by having them accidentally run into each other somewhere else or <laughs> we can build our entire season toward an a single event yep. that is going to bring everyone together at the same time so gentlemen confession time <laughs> I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but I am an unapologetic fan of uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. This would be the Kevin Costner Mm. Robin Hood movie. I think it's fantastic. So my internet connection is breaking up. I'm about to probably drop this. uh, Are you going into a tunnel? Yeah, I'm driving my laptop through a tunnel. (laughs) Underwater. Alan Rickman. Is the only good part of that movie. It's a... Because it's dull, you twist it a lot more. God, that's such a good line. Morgan Freeman. I'm a big Christian Slater fan. I tried for many, many uh, years to get my hair to be straight like Christian Slater's, which (laughs) curly-haired Jeff doesn't do. Doesn't do. There's something about the end of that movie which is fantastic, where there's there's a handful of the uh, what is it, the merry old men? What are they called? Men in tights. The Robin, sh- Robin Hood's <laughs> band of merry men. Merry men. <laughs> they get captured and they're going to get hung, and and it's a trap, and everyone knows it's a trap, and we're bringing everybody into the city square to you know to expose Robin Hood, and that's what I was thinking the entire time through this twelfth mm-hmm. episode is I love that kind of tension. Yep. That everyone knows it's a trap, but you cannot avoid this. And I suppose yeah. n- nobody's going to die in in this particular one, like in Robin Hood. But yeah, well, I mean, it has that same body. A lot of people died in this one too. <laughs> a fair yeah, few people. I died. saw some people get shot. The uh, <laughs> the stakes aren't there. Like Cassian doesn't have to show up. Oh sure. Mm. I always like those. A lot of times they use those sorts of dynamics in super Superman films and. Just uh, that al- these always work for me. Yeah, oh no, it's great. And and to that to that point, like one thing that I, I do want to say again about the um, the prison break, it's this it's the same thing as what happened with the heist. It's the and it's the same thing as what happened with this final episode. Is that, that they give you something that's very familiar, but they are definitely going to subvert expectations. Yeah. 
the the heist the way the heist happens is like this is a very typical heist story oh wait everyone died <laughs> this is cr- <laughs> like 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 the the way that the heist actually plays out is very different from what you're expecting the prison break is is a typical prison break story except for the things that are so different and so outside of what you're expecting and they get to the they finally get to the the exit and they have to jump a hundred feet into the water and swim for miles before they're free and then they're stuck on this planet there there's nobody else <laughs> except for other prison like the 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 subverting expectations within these stories and and even in the midst of the the funeral to bring back the fugitive that we are trying to capture and everyone knows it's a trap and everyone knows that they're going to go anyway. And the, the subversion of that story, it just that they, they did this so well. Agreed. When the Andor theme pops up for at the beginning of 12 and it's played by the homemade mm-hmm. instruments, yep. I was like, yeah, all right, where, where are we going here? And uh-huh. yeah, the, the use of music throughout um, for inspiration, for, you know, it's in-world music. What do you call that? It's uh, diegetic music. Is that right? Where it's in the film, like the characters are hearing it. It's not just the score playing. I believe you, but I don't know what the word is. They, they did it differently in, those, in that first arc with the tapping mm-hmm. uh, that was creating the tension. But here, mm-hmm. the thing that kept hitting me with, uh, I'll just jump to some of the, the ways that they're using the music, was how American revolutionary it felt to me. And it was very visual on sure. this front because you had so many flute players. And yeah. for whatever reason, you know, I, I, a lot of the propaganda artwork from the American Revolution seems to have yeah. a guy with a flute. <laughs> yeah. I, was, mm-hmm. I was like, that's yeah. what we're going to go kill King George in the, in the city square, aren't we? Or <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but these are more like flarinets and flobos and <laughs> flutes bolted to other flutes. Just awesome visuals. The last note of the Andor line isn't played in the intro, and that also just got me. It, it, the The composer left the theme as you're as you're getting into the show. He left it unresolved. Mm-hmm. Mm, which kind of yeah. set that tension and uh, it was just a tasty choice and started it and like i i was baking a pie uh while we were rec- while i was watching this so i had to keep go checking on it and uh <laughs> like i'm i was telling my my partner that like i'm so excited like i'm so glad to have these moments because i was tense from the second it started <laughs> right. until the end. Like it was 100% tension. Same. And they just like, they just let you sit in it because you're you, like, just they're doing cuts and they're moving and they're telling the stories of all the different people and everyone's there on Ferrex and like, like the whole, you know what's coming to some degree and it's all tension. Wonderful. Yeah. I was, uh, I watched this episode sitting on the couch but i may as well have just been sitting in a chair because i was (laughs) sitting forward in the couch leaning into Mm -hmm. what i was yeah i was i was a i was a my phone rang at one point and it scared the shit out of me (laughs) (laughs) the they've done this in all of the arcs where they they do the drama setup and then the last episode of the arc they really bring Mm -hmm. the tense 
feelings and movement and the editing gets a lot quicker and you just yeah. feel it feel it building really well executed yeah. here for sure. The other thing that hit me with I suppose with the American Revolution and I imagine it could work with Ukraine but I don't know what the underlying thought is is the book that is composed the the revolutionary manifesto mm-hmm. is hinted at at the beginning and you know he's playing the audio of that had a lot of uh, common sense, uh, Thomas Paine common sense in my mind. It's like this is what they're mm-hmm. digesting and reminding themselves. Here's what it's what it's all about to fight and why we fight and how the fight actually, you know, um, this is how you win. Real yeah, this episode, remember this. This episode has two of the best speeches about standing up to and fighting authoritarianism and fascism that I've heard in, in anything in a really long time. And it's, it's perfect. The writing is perfect. And particularly in Marva's speech, the performance is breathtaking. On the opposite side, there was a line after they kill all the people at Spellhouse and the, the head of the secret police said, well, we had to eliminate all of them and not take any prisoners so that we could question them because we needed to eliminate the taste from the emperor's mouth of yeah. past failures. And I was like, that, yeah. that is how things work. Well, and, and, and <laughs> such an interesting, like, like this is giving us this beautiful visual, this, this, this peek into the world of actual dictatorial systems that the destruction being caused there is not about stopping the rebellion. It's not about punishing the people. It's not about, uh, it, it's not about anything except for appeasing a big man baby. Yep, making themselves yep. feel better. Yeah, and 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 not even themselves. Yeah. it's not about the ISB. It's about calming down the dragon that's at the top of this food chain, even if it uh, hurts your cause. Yeah. Yeah, it it would be great to have bodies to question, to to have people to question, to have prisoners to help build our Death Star. It would be great to have, to not have to have destroyed all of these resources. But the most important thing is keeping the Emperor happy. Mm-hmm. Come on, this is not how Dedra plays the game, though. She is out to <laughs> find and capture and question Cassian. This is where Luthen's character, real interesting, his conversation with Val ends up being, we need him dead. We're going to snipe him. He's going to, they're going to flush him out and we'll take him down. Notice how similar that is to what uh, Cassian's job is in Rogue One. Mm-hmm. He is supposed to take out Jen Erso's father. Fun parallel there, I thought. Yeah. Playing on the, the parent relationship. Mm-hmm. All of this is set up. There's the message that's delivered from from the big guy, uh, whose name escapes me off the top uh, right now, but Rosso. Yeah, his big friend, conveying mom's message personally, and then mom's gonna have a message communally. And those those mm-hmm. go hand in hand. I thought that was really well done too. It's like here's something yeah. specific for my child, so that you. It's establishing there's 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 an underlying relationship here but she's still a leader and when she leads it looks different yeah and and just really cool for that character too that because it kind of starts to feel like she's a sick old lady who dies because because whatever whereas you really get the vibe with these two messages from her that 
everything was on her own terms. Mm. Yeah, I've planned this message to my son. I have, I have planned this message to my community because these are the, these are the two important things. And, and while I can, I'm getting this out there. I know, I know where my story is ending, but I'm getting this stuff out because this is how I want to be remembered. And that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Brings us to a funeral. They set this up real well in terms of permits and 30 people, maybe 40 since it's all going to be women anyway. And then, and then the band starts warming up. And then the people of Ferrix are like, we're going to show you what's up. Nice, uh, nice Les Mis moment a little bit for me mm. with the crowd as, as they can getting bigger and bigger in this town square moment. Les Mis is all over this. Yeah. The fact that the bands have different colored uniforms, but they're coming down different streets it was the orange band but now there's a red band and there's a yellow band <laughs> all meeting up red leader blue leader orange leader all the all the rebel stuff that's it playing into the the arrogance and ignorance of the empire because they're they're going to stifle the like we've seen we the audience have seen this over and over again they specifically reference it when when we're talking about the heist they're they're their role is to stifle cultural, culturally significant events and uh, just make sure everyone knows that they're the ones in charge. And they allowed them, these the people of this planet, to have... They said, yes, it's okay if you do this thing that is so important to you. And on, you can only have 30 people there in your own damn town. Right. And and the the people of Ferrix are like, nope. We're we're just we're 40. gonna do what we have to do, yeah. And then some, yeah. And and the 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 empire, the imperial presence doesn't know how to respond because they are not at all prepared for anyone to do anything other than what they've told them. And it's so we gave you a permit, thirty or forty people, and we don't now. Oh God, there's more than forty people. What do we do? And that's so beautifully alluded to when you're listening to that manifesto. Mm-hmm. These people, I mean, yeah. basically, it said they don't know what to do. Yeah, a few people here or there start standing up to them. They're not going to know what to do. Yeah, yeah. That the power doesn't panic line is yeah. Uh, true. Mm-hmm. Lots of uh, until it's pushed, and then it really panics. <laughs> well, but but the the point that he's making in that is like like real power doesn't. Panic. Right. Yeah, yeah. The emperor doesn't ever panic but the empire might all these other these these suits panic yeah yeah there's a moment where there's a pause in the funeral dirge and then the tune shifts we'll get a little bit more feisty mm. when b2 emo then gets brought out video gets kicked on middle of the city square so i mean that is the statue mm-hmm. her image looks like a statue and everybody's there in the city square second time through i'm like oh this is this is an MLK speech. It's I've been to the mountaintop. Hmm. And she's talking about her future death. And she's talking about the revolution that's going to concur occur afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was super, uh, at least that was my take on it. Real clever. Oh, yeah. Strong female power there. Something that Star Wars routinely wants to do. Sometimes executes well, sometimes doesn't. But, but I was all in <laughs> in terms of them getting there. And... For me, yeah. the MLK and the nonviolence, like they're not carrying guns, they're carrying clarinets. Mm-hmm. Yet these things have real power, is, is all over the we're marching 
you know, side of, mm-hmm. of some revolutions. Yeah. So, uh, and, and even like, like we talked about the, uh, I mentioned that like this, this whole episode is, is so tense and this, this funeral starts and it's like they they so seamlessly move from just warming up to starting to actually play and then all of a sudden they're marching and you're like wait this isn't supposed to be happening for a couple of hours and nobody knows what's going on and we the audience don't know what's going on and like the the tension and then the music is just so moving and everything is so tense and it's just this like i i have so many emotions happening right now and then like when marva actually shows up and you're like this 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 is a culminating moment of all of the things that that have been building toward this spot is the the presence of marva and and the role that she plays as an inspiration to her community and, and as someone who really understands not only her power, but the importance of what to do with that power. Yeah. I just, I just, the, this is executed so well and it gives us such a good picture into like the kind of thing that is actually inspiring in something like a rebellion. Speaking of people inspired, Luthen is there and he's watching her. Mm-hmm. And I think there is meant to be, and perhaps we'll see more in the next season, a shift in his heart yeah. of feeling like he's Entirely. been in the dark and not and having to do these terrible things. And yet here is something where I don't know what the shift is, but there's something. I, I wonder if it's you can you can stand up to and fight this thing without losing yourself because she Mm -hmm. clearly hasn't. She clearly loved her son. She clearly loved her community. She continued to resist this thing. She, she wants other people to resist this thing. And not only that wake up to resisting this thing sooner than she did, but she's still clearly an exemplary person who has not stooped to the tactics of the thing that of the very people that they're fighting. Well, and there, there's a parallel with um, she says she says the line uh, "fight these bastards," mm-hmm. and she says it in a very similar way to the way that Luthen does it when he's talking to mm-hmm. um, to not Diego to Luna, Cassian. Um, Cassian the first yeah. time, and and there's That's there's right. a there's a good parallel there, and the difference between the speeches that these two people are giving is that that one is trying to inspire people to do like like you have to fight this disease and and if if you are asleep to it that's the problem and they're using the fact that you're asleep to it and luthen's speech is so much more about uh don't you want to have an impact with your life and 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 for like the the difference between the the two poles of of why to come into this fight is it like like I would follow someone like Marva. I don't think I would follow someone like Luthen. Same. Luthen is saying all of his stuff in the shadows, under mm-hmm, in back exactly. rooms, and he yep. has has not had the experience of hearing it proclaimed with a microphone. Right. And he's trying to undo the empire. Marva is trying to stand up for what's right. Yeah. 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 And it's the, the need for all the different types of pieces mm-hmm. also quite important. But yeah. you do need the person. This is one of the things um, I think in our own political moment, you, like 
the voice of the next generation, who is the person that's under the age of 60 that actually has command of the room and can speak mm-hmm. and say this is how, it's, how it needs to go, y'all. Like, and need right accurately now. understands what the room needs to hear and what the room actually should be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not a problem in Ukraine, however. Right. <laughs> yeah, and notice that, that Luthen's speech gets Cassian to do the only option, which is join the heist, and Marva's speech gets Cassian to join the empire, or to join the revolution. Right. And and in the immediate sense, also free his friend. Right. Well, I... He was going to do that regardless, but... And that that's one of the things that um, within Marva's specific message to him, I, I, I need to watch it again because they might have been showing us that this was going to be what he was doing all along. But I think the the remarkable sort of turn for Cassian of like he he came to his mother's funeral and freed his friend mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like they like he specifically tells brasso like they they, they have a conversation and brasso is going to do the thing that cassian should be doing which is take care of the brick and and leading this procession and everyone knows that if cassian goes out there and shows his face that he's going to uh he's going to get arrested or killed or whatever else and and he takes this opportunity takes this distraction to kill to to save someone who doesn't deserve to be in prison Mm -hmm. and and in effect he's he's doing the right thing by sort of ignoring his mother yeah like he he left her before because he he had to get away and and they fought and like he feels guilt about it and then this message from his mom says i love you more than all of the wrongs that you've ever made which is like Okay, great Disney Plus, make me cry. <laughs> Thanks a lot. This is Star Wars. Why am I crying so hard? Yeah, seriously. Uh, but but the the change, I I feel like there's a change that happens there. That now it is not his priority to say goodbye to his mother. It is his priority to do something more important. It feels like a it feels call. like a permission to be free. Yeah. Yep. Or to to go and do the things. She knows, and then he finally knows he needs to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's excellent. Two women rescued. Bix is rescued by Cassian. Dedra's rescued by, mm. what's his name, Squirrel? Something like that. Cyril. Cyril. No, I think it's, I think it's Squirrel. <laughs> it's Squirrel fits. It's yeah. Squirrel now. Okay, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop two. Uh, I might have already said one of them, but uh, I'm going to drop two different, like, I have no stakes in these theories about <laughs> the future uh one of them is that uh cyril and dedra cyril and or dedra are actually going to turn to the rebellion mm-hmm. um because i think their 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 vision is too pure right to be aligned with the evil that is the empire like they're they're all about like order and systems and like we have to do everything right according to this thing and and dedra particularly is really good at being engaged in the evil parts of it but i think <laughs> both of them are too it, it's an idealism yeah. that i don't think will be able to live in the empire yeah, yeah that would get crushed and shift yeah so i i think one or the other one or both of them is going to become part of the rebellion by the end of the story and two uh i meant to say this earlier but i th- 
I wonder if the, and there's I have nothing to base this off of. Uh, I wonder if uh, B two emo is going to become K two S O. I thought that as well, like the same way oh. that they did with uh, uh, what's her L three and Malian Falcon. Yep. yep, sort of transfer his consciousness to his quote unquote consciousness, his droidedness. I'm gonna because that I, poor little guy is getting a, is taking a beat. When they kicked him over, I was so mad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's it's time to throw down the, the kicking mm, of right. the robot. Of the droid, yeah. all this other bullshit we could we could handle, but then you pushed over this disabled little droid. Yeah, that was, whole scene is just is just phenomenal. the The ensuing battle after after her speech ends is is remarkable. Watching watching that group of people find wake up, just mm-hmm. as as Marva is requesting that they do, was was amazing. To what it just yeah. happens in happens in slow little waves, and then to just see the terror go across yeah. every single one and of those imperial officers, in, including the one guy who's so smug and snotty looking, and, and that that pansy jackass yeah. who is handed control of this system, who has to crawl back like, through the the guards, like, and, crawls underneath. Yeah. Instead of actually being there to fight, he crawls away and hides in a corner while yelling commands. And t- I think t- so on point. Two characters Ugh. for the Empire, that guy, and then and then Deidre, to to a lot of degree, is is useless, bordering on the worthless. Oh, I loved watching her get. I she did she, too. Like she goes to join the fight and gets hit in the head by a rock. And then she goes to pick up her gun and, and get kicked. like the like like it's 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 comical and how bad she is at being in this then battle. Thirty people pick her up and drag her away, and and I yeah. again it was another moment I, I out loud said, "Well, she's dead." Yeah, I cheered. And then she gets saved, which I kind of yeah. I, I Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong. I think I alluded to this in the last episode we recorded. That's the only real human connection those two human beings have ever had Deidre and and Cyril that is the only it's messed up and it's probably not healthy but it's the only real human connection and that moment in that closet essentially where it's oh I I guess you saved me maybe I should say thank you is was a different type of tense and awkward and and I enjoyed Mm -hmm. the hell out of it because because he's there because he is quote-unquote in love with her and she is still not at all interested. <laughs> She's confused as to why he's there. She barely remembers his name. Right. And she right. doesn't say thank you. She says, I should right, right, say right. thank you with an ingrateful tone in her voice. That's just her face. Ugh. The whole scene shows her vulnerability, which I thought was real clever because she's been that yep. very uh, vicious uh, kind of st- Stoic yet, uh, I suppose it's not stoic because it's so menacing. Um, mm-hmm. But here, very quickly shows her vulnerability. Yeah, she, she's out of her element in a in a, in a yep. mob riot, and 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 someone who who thinks that they are in total control of the <laughs> <Yeah>. situation <laughs> until she's not. Yeah, uh, until she has to actually do something. Just to beautiful. to quote Mike Tyson, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> We're hitting the head with a rock. <laughs> <laughs> the other or, thing, 
that the director does, and it's similar to the Luthan space battle, is a lot of times in in a you know in a scene like this, you would have explosions going all over the place. There's one bomb, mm-hmm. and they maximize the use <sighs> of that one bomb. Five explosions. Yeah. From it. Yeah. <laughs> you tip over the hand grenade and, box, and it but fills the space with smoke. It does so much work. Yeah, it is creating chaos. It is showing that the locals have real power. The explosions going through the windows really worked for me mm-hmm. in terms of throwing. Uh, those were really well executed, throwing stormtroopers across the wall. And there's the turncoat spy who, who gets killed in that moment. Yeah. And all of that done with very basic tools, as it were. Yeah, whereas yeah. A, a lot of other action you know, directors, I think, they want to have 82 hand grenades going off doing that work mm-hmm. and all kinds of lens flare mm-hmm. just r- real quality yeah also particularly liked uh vel running at a dead sprint <laughs> into the smoke yeah <laughs> I, I, i'm super judgmental about uh actors running on film now if you wanted to talk about uh tom hiddleston running in loki <laughs> i mean the, we could oh. talk about that do you know what i think on that this level. Is, is that actually Tom Hiddleston, or is it is it the complaint we've made about a few different things? Is it because they're running in the volume and you can't actually yeah. get up to an actual run because you've got uh, just a few feet until you smack into a digital wall? Sure, I I think it's both. I think that Tom Hiddleston is not an and he's he's not an action actor. Right. The thing that makes his character so good is that Tom Hiddleston is an excellent dramatic actor. Though he can do a hell of a sword fight. I don't know if you if you've watched The Hollow Crown, but he's sensational. I feel like in that. sword fighting doesn't count. Yeah, sure. There's it's nothing athletic thing. about sword fighting. You don't have to be an action actor to do Shakespeare, but you do know <laughs> how to how do you you do have to know how to use a sword. Something stolen right out of uh, my favorite action film, which is uh, Fury Road. Uh, was the line you're bleeding no it's not mine mm. uh, speaking about the blood there there's a great scene in yeah. mad max where that happens and uh i was uh, made me made me smile that stabbing was incredible too yeah. it's uh, you you because it happens so quick and you don't really know and you mm. think oh god and then boom boom just yeah badass yeah another unreasonable theory i think that cinta might be um cassian's sister but uh Beside that point, the uh, the difference between Vel and Cinta is deeply fascinating, and and the like like Cinta kills that guy almost for no reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and 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 sh- and she doesn't care either. Like that 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 death is is almost inexplicable. She knows he's a agent i was gonna say i feel like it's sure. pretty clear was, he was gonna kill her yeah, if she he didn't kill predator. him but but why was she even cl- following him that close like why why was she even there if if her role is to be there to watch mm. out for cassian and like like that's her job mm-hmm. is to find cassian and kill him and and why was she following that guy that close why like the that whole sequence is is very much like like she has another secret mission. It seems like I'll have to go back and watch. And I felt like he was the yeah. predator, and she got him in the yeah. back. No, she corner. was following him, yeah. and he turned around and he's like, "What are you doing here?" Oh, no, that's. Watch. And there's just a lot of moments of just her on camera, 
mm-hmm. clearly thinking and, and doing and being present mm-hmm. somewhere or in something else. So I, I agree with TJ on that. Yeah. I hadn't thought about Cassian's sister, by the way. I'm glad you brought that back up. It's the very first thing that happens in the show. We've got to resolve that storyline somehow. It wraps with Brazos with Bix and uh, B2 Emo taking him to the, the ship where they're going to escape. I'm sorry, that's wrong. Who's he with? Who's Bix with? Uh, Cassian's I mean, carrying Bix. That's right. Brazos is just with yeah. the with the droid. Was he with uh, Brazo and uh, B two emo and the the kid who made the bomb, who is the son of the guy who got tortured and taken to the hotel and then hanged in in the square. Oh, is that who that is? It's that's his the bomb. Yeah, kid and that's why the tortured guy. Okay. In that scene when yeah. he's putting the bomb together while they're playing the manifesto, he's looking at that hologram photograph of his dad. Totally. Yeah. I, I saw that and that didn't register. That's great. And uh, one of the things I really liked within that and part of part of the tension for me was that like like this kid, you I I have no idea who that bomb's for. Right. Right. I don't know if that bomb is for the Empire. It might be for Cassian. Why like, when he's making that's, it? <laughs> right, because yeah. he could bl- he could be blaming Cassian for everything that's yeah. I had oh, gotcha. that went through my head too. I thought, okay, maybe yep. this kid is going to be the unexpected uh, yeah. wrench in the yeah. plans. I'm glad it wasn't. We but. know things are going to go sideways quickly, and we don't know how or why. And as it turns out, it's because Marva's a badass at leading people into a rebellion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, well, you put all the explosive elements in the same place at the same time, and then light the fuse, and that's that's great yep. storytelling. Yep, and that. Feels like how real life often works. Who, who's the character? Bro- Brazos, then Brasso. Uh, Brasso, that's the name. It's the big guy. Oh, who's okay, yeah. The friend. It's like, wait, Brazos is Steve Martin's character's yeah. right, TV yeah, alter ego, <laughs> and only yeah. wears in the building. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, okay. And and of it's course, um, Jamie Tart's dad as well with uh-huh. him in the. He's the guy with the beard. Um, oh yeah, I yeah. can't think of his character yeah. or that actor's Same. name. I but I just I just yeah. thought, hey, that's Jamie Tart's dad. Speaking of scenes <laughs> that you cry in. Yeah. Hey. Shh. Um. But Ted Lasso. Period. Man, it's just across the board. I still haven't finished it. Still haven't right, finished just it. Ted Lasso, Have you not the seen first the first season? Yet? The second season. You haven't no. seen the Jamie Tart scene. I, I've seen the. I've seen the scene where, uh, um, in the yeah, locker room. Okay. Never mind. With his dad. Yeah. The, right. Yeah. I thought about that scene randomly the other day at work and just began crying. Yeah. Right. <laughs> had to quickly. That's fair. Oh, sorry. That's fair. Yeah. Yep. Well, Cassian then shows up. I do like that they have like the dogs that are at a Jabba's palace. I think you know those signaling and and those poor real dogs that have to wear all that shit. I felt so bad for them. <laughs> but Cassian shows up with Bix, of course, has to have a conversation with B two emo. This is the one that got me. I mm-hmm. that uh, crushed me. Mm-hmm. You gotta take care of her. You always. I'm not gonna lie. I I have never been on you all's <laughs> side on this political on this this argument that you're trying to convince the world of of droids having souls and of droids having souls uh, and this like basically every moment with B two emo yeah. is it's beautiful is like it's it's basically trying to force me away from my <laughs> position. So. Brazos yeah. clearly thinks the droid has a soul. Gonna hang out with him an extra night. He's not a he's not a bigot, right? Don't do that for your VCR. <laughs> you always say that, and you always come through. Ah, yeah, man. Love it. Oh, And then Cassian goes and spoils the mood. 
says, I'm going to find you. I will. And this is something that you can't say in Star Wars. This is this is nope. one because it means they're not they're never going to see can't him again. Yep. That whole ship of people is never going to see him again. So the witch on one front, I'm like yelling at the TV screen. And on the other front, I'm like, that's exactly how you should tell this story. And I'm thrilled that oh, they're 100 percent willing to go down that road. And I assume it's the yeah. case. We, we got a lot of characters that we love, just like we loved a lot of characters in Rogue One. And it feels like that kind of story. Mm-hmm. It, but notice that none of the char- none of the main, not one of the main characters died in this episode. Yeah, that's true. That was actually surprising to me. Yeah, me too. And I'm not upset about it like I am in <laughs> I some was, things. Yeah, I was almost positive that Luthen was going to die in this episode. I I would have if, if I was putting money on somebody. I thought uh-huh. Luthen was going to die in this episode too. Nope, not one mm-hmm. of them. I think the last scene of the episode is really clever, and it it took the rewatch to. I'm like, okay, what? How are we doing this? <laughs> Cassian has shown up in Luthen's ship. He can clearly kill Luthen if he wants to. Leaves his gun out, comes out from behind the corner, tells Luthen, "You came here to kill me. I've made it easy for you." Luthen is impressed. Luthen, who knows everything, and he doesn't know what's going on here. Yeah. Luthen, the only other person on Ferrex who knows all of the characters that we're watching. Right. <laughs> like, like every time someone that we're supposed to know shows up, they show Luthen's face. And he's like, oh, I know that guy. <laughs> on, it's like, what? How does he know everything? On his Star Wars podcast, he never gets the names wrong. <laughs> <laughs> There's a pause to look anything up. Just a second. Wikipedia just launched the updated their page. Guy yeah. with red jacket. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah. what game is this? Kill me or take me in? Feels to me like there's two baptism scenes for Cassian. He leaves Val in the money, took his cut, pulls a Han Solo. I got I got my cash, I'm out of here. Him jumping off of the the plank, as it were out of the prison into the water that seems to me i've been freed and the water image can be a baptism but i think this is this is complimentary here that it's kill me or take me in it's i can't live anymore without being part of this and that's what the the, the game is him knowing that luthan will see that and that he's trustworthy he's trustworthy at the highest possible level after this moment I and I'm I keep sitting with that that I don't know that you could build more trust with Luthen than this. This is different than the mm-hmm. guy that Luthen was talking to, you know. Yeah, with the kid yeah. and the, the the wife and the kid and trying to get out of the yeah, out of the game. Yeah, like this is and and Luthen knows that this guy's a superstar and that's mm-hmm. where everything closes. Because there's a difference between trying to get out of the game and changing the rules of the game and forcing him to play a different one. Right. Right. I also feel like it's it's like we we talked about some of the comparisons with Les Mis and 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 not just the like, like the barricade scenes kind of stuff, but but also the the this moment is like I I cannot live in the in the mm-hmm. system as like, now that I know what I know, I cannot live in this system anymore. Javert chooses to kill himself and and Cassian basically makes it Luthen's choice. Is like I I can't live my old life and my mother is gone and 
everything has changed now. So either you do what you came here to do or I'm fully in. Yeah. And uh, like there, there's, there's something about the change that, that, that is so it's, it's not just someone who wants to be part of the rebellion, but it's someone who recognizes that he has no life outside of the war that he's about to join and he's probably going to die in it. And like, like what you were saying about, um, about this is probably the best way to get Luthen to trust him. It's, it's not just about Luthen trusting him. It's also like you have to fully 100% trust in me and see me one uh, completely and totally bought in or I can't do this. Right. Mm-hmm. And and if you bring me in, you know that I have nothing else to live for. My my whole person is now given over to this cause. Next level. Mm-hmm. And again, the screenwriting it is shown, not told. Right. That's some uh, just tremendous screenwriting to get to get mm-hmm. us all the emotions, set the pieces in place. Yeah. Thrilled they're only doing a one more season. Yeah, same yeah. here. Yeah. Well, the, I, I was thinking about the um, a lot of the the language that is that is being used by, I think it's Merrick in the in the um, Revolution Manifesto, and and he's talking about like there's an inciting incident, mm-hmm. and like this this is a thing that's going to change people, and th- th- it's also going to light a spark that like he doesn't use this language. I'm totally paraphrasing, but it it it's the spark that lights the the fuse that 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 actually moves things yep. forward and and s- the fact that Cassian who is just trying to fly like at the beginning of this show he's just trying to fly under the radar and like he he's not going to be part of anyone's system uh he's just trying to like get by and and seeing him like the the ways the things that he goes through and and seeing him change and and particularly in this moment where he can be part of something so spectacular in the battle at Ferrix, or he can do something more important right and like the the buy-in for him is is yeah shown not told it's it's I, I love watching the character progression and the decisions that he makes. The fact that he saves Bix instead of, and literally just carries her out. He does nothing else to be part of this fight mm-hmm. while this whole thing is happening. He's just carrying Bix out. And that is, yeah. The, I think the, the Andor that we met at the beginning of the show might not have saved his friend, probably would have done more uh sort of like hiding and fighting kind of stuff like he 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 wouldn't have made these intentional decisions in this way again uh, i'm reading a lot of last jedi um themes into this and they're just executed at such a higher level marva calls him Mm -hmm. the spark but that's a that's a big part of last jedi stuff and well, what you want to see with Poe, and we need to light this, you need to spark the resistance to action. Mm-hmm. But here it's shown, not told, and it's and it's like you get the sense there's actually a movement. Whereas at the end of Last mm-hmm. Jedi, that's that's not a movement, uh, and it's not really <laughs> a spark. 
you know, and right. and then all of, you know, and then all of a sudden, Rise of Skywalker. There's everybody and their mother shows up at Dunkirk. But the <laughs> the other thing is at, at at the beginning of Last Jedi, Poe Dameron is is sacrificing people for battles that don't matter, and that's not how you win. Mm. And that's exactly what what Cassian's not doing on on those fronts, right. or even perhaps right. picking up chess pieces that are vastly more mm-hmm. valuable than you know than than beating up a you know a platoon of imperial soldiers yeah bix may i assume bix is very very valuable and they just haven't shown us that yet but or or this could even be a a way of correcting one of my least favorite things about the last jedi (laughs) (laughs) yeah when rose stops finn from flying into the the mini death star yeah it is so frustrating that that moment is so frustrating to me. I get what they're trying to do, but it just sucks. Yeah. It's just so, such a weird. Uh, j- <laughs> I hate that moment so much in that film, and here here it is appropriately executed. It might not be the case that she's important at all. It might just be the case that he loves her, and instead of dying for this cause you live for the things that you you save the things that you mm. love instead mm. of dying to stop something you hate you you save the things that you love he's not victim to to what luthan has experienced where luthan is sacrificing everything he loves right right yeah there's humanity and, and in this like, character yeah bix may be nothing except for someone that is really important to andor I like that a lot. Yeah. One other thing, uh, just because we haven't brought it up, I was fascinated by the the little uh, the little we got of Mon Mothma in this episode. Mm, yes. Yep. yep. I I kind of saved yeah, that. I, I really wanted that. to say that it feels like they are setting up the next season with with all of her stuff, kind of showing you where things are at. I totally agree. But but mm-hmm. I just thought. 11 and 12 do some really interesting stuff with her because yeah. I think agreed. I think we see her have to make some dark decisions and some dark choices mm-hmm. and re- and kind of comment on losing herself a little bit. But that scene where at least in my take on it and I've only watched it once but where she kind of sets her husband up as her fall guy for yes. the money thing. That was, that was clever. A, that was an amazing scene and his arrogance yeah. of well they're not listening, but of course she knows they're listening. So she's mm-hmm, mm-hmm, she just mm-hmm. she she does this amazing performance. Mm-hmm. The yep. character's performance. It's it was just such a defining amazing moment. Yeah. Willing to give her husband up yeah. who she doesn't necessarily care about. Yeah, cuz that guy sucks. But Maybe having to give up her daughter, who she does care about. Yeah, but but even with her husband, it's not necessarily giving him up. Like like you have to the the when Blevin is talking about it later, um, with with the driver, they think that they now have something over her because of the embarrassment and the of the criminal activity of your husband. But what they really have is her scapegoat. Right. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and and it, like like she's not even to me she's not even sacrificing him or or um like she she might not lose him. That from that's true. It may just be she, embarrassment. Yeah. It's and it's her reputation yeah. that is going to take that's the hit. Excellent. 
because your embarrassment of a husband is a is a gambling addict and and stole four hundred thousand dollars from your family yeah. trust and lied to you about it and all of this stuff and the empire now thinks that they have that to hold over her and she says that in an earlier episode when she's talking with with her her banker friend where she basically says she talks about letting people underestimate her and assuming mm-hmm. who and what she is and it's just a great moment to to just prove that point a little bit more i also think that there's um there's something beautiful here about giving us a glimpse of her moving from her sort of like her her idealistic stance like like she feels very much to me like like she is still where she is because she might be able to convince enough people mm-hmm. that what's happening in the empire is wrong and and this this is the first we really get to see of her starting to shift and recognize that like she she is not the philosopher trying to change hearts anymore she is now becoming a spy she's she's pulling out of the luthan playbook which she's so resistant right. to in the first half of this show yeah. right right yeah right we'll we'll see where she goes yeah she might gandalf maybe she's gandalf that's it. I I'm out. <laughs> last, uh, last thoughts on Andor. Do, neither one of you are positive about the future of Star Wars. Still, even after seeing, but Tony Gilroy's got this a show is amazing. It does not necessarily show us the future path of Star Wars. I love this show. I, I, I really, really do. I, I, it's, it was so nice to, to. It was great to have a Star Wars thing that came out once a week that I was really excited about and never disappointed by, or I hope that this is the model they continue to follow. Mm-hmm. They'll do, what is it, Skeleton Crew, and they'll do Ahsoka, both of which I assume are not going to be as adult or mature in tone. Or they'll just go totally the other way with the adult themes, and it'll be <laughs> shocking. I hope not, but possible. I suppose on the future of Star Wars, they're learning alongside Marvel, you know, how do you how do you tell different kinds of stories with the property that you have for different kinds of ages? But you gotta make sure you don't flood the environment, but you need to produce content because you have subscription services and all these things end up creating kind of a messy space. And also you wanna stay you wanna stay in the conversation. Yeah. You know, you wanna stay you don't want people to stop talking about you. Right. The only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about. Yeah. Disney has a new president and I'm mean, kind there's, of there's <laughs> a new old president. there's streaming service <laughs> yeah residual income is is an interesting thing on on this you're 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 not throwing down 20 bucks to go to the movies you're throwing down 12 bucks each month to to stay with the platform and mm-hmm. we're we're gonna see how entertainment works and how the creation of popular entertainment works, given that the entire economic system for, or, you know, for, for producing content is entirely different now than it was five years ago. And everyone's learning that streaming doesn't make any money. Well, Oops. I think that's the, <laughs> in theory, that is, they're doing what Amazon did in the late 90s, early 2000s, where they're throwing so much money 
just to mm-hmm. dominate the environment and then they know they win for the next 15 years is what I think is going on. But the trick is there's uh, there's six other companies that are all doing the exact same thing. And that's and they're all vying yeah. for the same person. And that's and I suppose that becomes this is the new economy. It's like what what are you willing to pay residual money for? People want to win that space. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know what? Uh, I mean, like Amazon Prime is this. You're paying monthly, you know, so much. Or Google Cloud or, you know, I mean, all these things where they're taking the small bits of, of money from 300 million Americans. Let's just mm-hmm. keep it stateside for a second. As opposed to how do we sell more widgets? How do we, how do we you know, build something in two years that's slightly better than the thing that we're selling right now? Right. I think the the companies that win the future have this kind of model yeah. of subscriptions and knowing how to how to continue to produce content that that keeps their right. subscribers. And so that's yeah. that's going to be it because that's the model. Yeah. We're probably going to yeah. get a lot more Star Wars, but you better not burn us out without with all the new Star Wars. It's kind of you're in this right. very tricky right. situation, I think, w- creatively. Mm-hmm. But and it is also interesting though. All these streaming platforms are now releasing movies into movie theaters again and begging people to go see movies in movie theaters, <laughs> which people weren't going to do anymore. It, you know, nobody was going to go to movie theaters anymore because of streaming. And now Netflix and Amazon Prime are releasing things into theaters and saying, "Please, please, please go see Knives Out two in a movie theater for the two weeks that it's out." Right. So that's right. super. Confusing and very interesting. Because they don't get any more money right. from you watching it on the streaming service you're already paying for. Well, that's what I got on Andor. You guys got anything else? I don't think so. Next time we're going to hit The Last Jedi, and then Daniel and I will jump back into the binge until 12 other shows are suddenly released, and we have to respond, apparently. they got to change a bunch of things about how the system is organized first with Bob Iger coming back. Sure. Get a hiatus. I'm, I'm down with a, a, a pause and get back into some of the best stuff that's ever been created, which was released 10 years ago and definitely deserves our attention. There you go. Hmm. Well, friends, it would mean the world to us if you took two seconds and gave us some stars on the iTunes or on uh, Spotify. As with all podcasts, this one's only going to survive if you share it with passion with friends who love a galaxy far, far away. All the material here is obviously from the phenomenal artists at Lucasfilm, and you can see all of our stuff at StarWarsBinge.com. That's what I got. You got anything else, Mother Shed? I do not. TJ, it's always a delight having you. We'll have you sometime here in the next year, I'm sure. We've already actually Great. already scheduled right. it, at least the episodes that you're... Is there some other conversation about Palpatine coming up? We're going to be doing the Mortis yes. arc with, with one TJ Wilson oh, yeah. once we get to it, which is... Uh, oh, yeah, I totally forgot. <laughs> which is like... like this is going to be the thing that helps me get through Andor not having any force is the, the <laughs> tremendous amount Absolute of force opposite conversation side. happening in the Mortis arc. <laughs> Please, Daniel Mothershed, no matter what bad things you've done, you're still loved. I forgot what the line was. I love you more than all the wrong you've done. <laughs> there we go. I'm Jeff Cook. I always come through. You want to know why, Daniel? Oh, is it because this is the way? This is the way. <laughs> because this is the way. Hey, TJ, thanks for joining us. <laughs> hey, thank you. <laughs>
Fiona Shaw is amazing. That's my final word. You're listening to the Grand Army of the Republic broadcast, the voice of the Outer Rim.